What's up, everybody, and welcome to College Basketball Recruiting Weekly. I'm your host, 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting, Adam Finkelstein, and this is our rankings episode. We've got updated national rankings live on the site right now in the classes of 2024 and 2025, as well as the debut of the class of 2026. Now, what exactly did we base these rankings on? How credible are they? Who's number one in each class? What players did we disagree on? We're gonna break all of that down coming up next. Anytime we're talking about rankings or evaluating prospects in general, the first thing you have to understand is everything is subjective. It's not fact, it's somebody's opinion. It's also an imperfect system because we're trying to account for three different projections and yet synthesize them into just one number. There can be a very big difference between who the best high school basketball player is today and who's the best long-term prospect. There's sometimes even a difference between who's the best college prospect and who might be the best professional prospect a couple years down the road. So, because the vast majority of what we're evaluating is based on what's gonna happen in the future, every evaluator goes into it knowing there's literally no chance they're gonna be 100% accurate. You know you're gonna be wrong sometimes. The key though is to make sure you're credible, make sure you're transparent, and ideally, wrong less than everybody else. Being a credible evaluator comes down to three things in my opinion. First, you can't have any conflicts of interest. There's no more obvious bias than someone who's invested in a particular player, maybe a region, or even a league. Second, you have to know what you're watching and the levels you're projecting for. There's just no way someone can accurately forecast a high school player's potential to play college basketball unless they have a deep understanding of the college game and what makes it unique. It's the same in the NBA and also the reason why the vast majority of franchises at that level require their college scouts to watch a certain amount of NBA games so they know what they're projecting for. Last, but certainly not least, you gotta put in the work, and I firmly believe this. If you're not spending the time watching these players enough, watching them in different environments, both in person and on film, then you just can't be credible. That's why we're always in the gym, and then watching film when we get off the road. No conflicts of interest, a deep understanding of the level you're watching and projecting for, and the work ethic to watch and learn as much as you can. There's a lot of different opinions out there these days, but if you can't check those three boxes, then you can't even be credible. And that is honestly just the bare minimum. The other thing I wanna speak about when it comes to rankings is the perception of rising and falling. I know when rankings come out, that's how a lot of fans view them. This player rose 10 spots or that player dropped 10 spots. Internally though, another thing we're very deliberate about is trying not to consider where they were previously ranked. In fact, to pull the curtain back a little bit on our process, the way it works, especially in the rising senior class, is that I'll come out with a first draft. Initially, that'll be based on position. I actually start that document internally, the first event I go to every spring. And then I keep updating the list over the course of the season. Once the season's over, I send out those position-based depth charts and get everyone's feedback. I'll adjust accordingly and then send out a draft of the top 150. Again, deliberately not taking anything into consideration except what we've seen and learned in the last six months. I'll send that out to the group, get their feedback, make edits accordingly. Then we'll take that edited draft and discuss it over a conference call or a Zoom. It isn't until the very end where we note where a player was previously ranked. The reason we do that is because we're trying to avoid a few different cognitive biases. Most of all, the anchoring bias. 
where we could theoretically get tied to what we previously thought of a player, even though we have far more information as time goes on. So long story short, when you look at rankings and say, this player dropped, know that we don't think of it that way. And most importantly, know this, to be ranked on that list or ranked at all means you're part of the top 1% of the 1%. And so in the grand scheme of things, any perceived drop has very little significance. The other factor that makes rankings interesting is that it's typically a group process. Thus, the final list is a combination of a lot of different viewpoints. In other words, my personal board, it looks a little different than the final rankings, as I know Travis and Eric's list does as well. But one of the things that we're very deliberate about here is letting everyone have their own opinion on the record. If you've watched the show over the summer, you've heard both Bossy and Travis say they would have had Ace Bailey second overall in the national class. And I totally get that perspective because of his age, his size, his athleticism, and clear long-term potential. But my personal opinion is that Dylan Harper is still deserving of that spot because of the sheer impact he has on the game in so many different ways, not to mention his positional size, versatility, and overall mentality. But of course, the more players you start to consider, the more disagreements you're gonna have. And let me be very clear about this. That is a good thing. When everyone starts thinking the exact same thing, that's when I get nervous that we're all starting to subscribe to groupthink. And that is absolutely a worst case scenario. All right, with that having been said, gonna welcome in Eric Bossy and Travis Branham to the show. And guys, I will pose this question to you. Who is the player in these latest updated rankings that we should have ranked even higher. Bossy, I will start with you. For me, there were really two guys that it came down to, and they're both big guys, Jaden Quaintance and Aiden Shirell. But I'm going to lean more towards Aiden Shirell because I don't think we got him up quite as high as he could have been. In my estimation, he's potentially a top 10 player in the class, and I'll tell you why. With Aiden Shirell, you need to look beyond his Nike UIBL numbers or any numbers he's put up in high school because he's played on such stacked teams, particularly Vegas Elite in the summer. What you need to look at is his fit potentially at the next level. At six foot ten, he's a guy who can really run. He can stretch the floor as a face-up five man. He can finish lobs. He can block shots around the rim. He's got a very projectable body to build on. And if you want a case of where I see this, look at what happened with Noah Plowney last year, a guy that we all admit we massively underranked but got to college and showed some of more of the things he was doing on the right fit. And it's no coincidence that Alabama is in Aiden Shirell's top five because he's kind of in that similar vein. And I think he's even better than Clowney coming out of high school. So I just see a lot of projectable strengths that he has already and a lot of areas where he could improve quickly in a more open college floor and then eventually the NBA. So that's why to me, he's a guy that I would have supported all the way up to the top 10. There's a few guys that come to mind, Billy Richman, Con Knepple, both being on mine, but the guy I'm going to keep pounding the drum for is Patrick Gongba, a big man out of PVI Catholic and team takeover to help leading them to a Peach Jam title. Uh, he's a guy that has made tremendous leaps in his development over the last eight, nine months, and a guy that impacts when he's got a really high floor out on the court. He's got a tremendous amount of skill with his ability to put the ball on the ground pass see the floor he's able to stretch the floor and make shots out to three and that is an area he is going to continue improving in he's also a formidable rebounder on the glass he clears uh, clear space in the paint and can score on the low block a very high floor doesn't have as high of a ceiling as a guy as two guys that bossy just mentioned and aiden Sherrell and Jaden Quaintance, but his floor is extremely high. 
And to me, he is in the conversation among the best bigs in the country. And my pick was Liam McNeely. As we said, everybody's got somebody. They're a little higher on than the rest of the group, and McNeely is that player for me. I think he's proven himself to be one of the 10 best players in high school basketball today, both with what he did at Montford Academy as well as what he did with the Florida Rebels. There also aren't 10 other players I would rather have as freshmen in college basketball next year, and I'll tell you why. He's not only extremely skilled, everybody knows he can catch and shoot, but he's got a terrific feel for the game, and he's a vastly underrated creator. You run him off screens, you can play off him in the half court. He can make decisions and be the first domino in your offense. Now, the questions are gonna be on the defensive end of the floor, and sure, he's not the fastest guy out there, but when you really watch him closely on that defensive end, I see someone who does not get beat in straight lines. He guards his yard, so to speak, keeps the player in front of him to the point where he's gonna be able to be solid enough where he'll all he'll need is a little help off the ball. I think he's a better defender than advertised. I get the questions about his pro potential, but with the guys like Corey Kispert and some others, we've seen that prototype make it in the NBA. So to me, he is someone that is even higher on my personal board. Of course, for the latest and the updated rankings, all you need to do is go to 247sports.com. Before we talk about the players in particular, I want to start with the motivation behind these decisions. And Bossy, uh, I'm going to pose this to you first because you've been doing this longer than anyone. But why are we seeing such an uptick in terms of the amount of reclassifications? There's a few things in this. I think one more than ever, we've got a lot of kids who are held back at a younger age, whether that's repeating a freshman year of high school, repeating eighth grade before entering high school. So we've got a lot of guys that have been held back so that they're ready to be more productive earlier in their high school career. And now they've got the rankings that they've sought out. They've got the recruitment that they've sought out. So they might as well go ahead and rejoin the original class because most of the guys who reclassify are actually joining their natural age group. But the real big thing here that's really driving this now has got to be NIL. There's a chance to get to the money a year earlier, and I'm not mad at people for trying to do that. It's America. We're all trying to make what we can out of things. But certainly now, NIL is probably the primary driving force, and that's why we're seeing kids doing it in droves at this point. All right, Travis, I'm going to pose this to you, but I agree with Bossy. I think this is motivated primarily by financial incentives, not just NIL, but oftentimes the opportunity to get to the NBA as soon as possible, which means according to the collective bargaining agreement, you need to not only be a certain age, but you need to be one year removed from your high school class. What do you think? I think Bossy absolutely nailed it. I think we're going to have to start tailoring for retailing the way we phrase this. Instead of saying, oh, let's let's get to the NBA a year earlier and we're gonna have to start tailoring it, retailing it to let's get to the money a year earlier, all because of that NIL at this point. And we're seeing it now with a guy, I uh, can't really say the reasoning behind his move because I wasn't the one making the decision, but Jane Quaintance, to me, the most logical explanation uh, for his reclassification where he has to play two years of college basketball or if he decides to go pro he's going to have to play two years regardless before he's ever eligible for the nba trap most logical explanation is just to get to the nil money earlier and again like bossy said who can blame them uh when you're proven to be a dominant player at the high school level and you're ready to make that next step and, and really ramp up the the development process against better competition there's no better decision to make than to make that leap. And not only that, but also you're seeing kids reclassified in a year early and redshirt. So they're willing to sit out a year. And again, the most logical explanation for those 
is getting to that money a year earlier and ramping up that development process. And again, who can blame them? Uh, it, it's a it's America, and everybody's trying to get their own. All right, guys, even if NIL is the primary driver, I still do think that the allure of the NBA draft is a factor. We've seen that over the years, guys like Jalen Duran and others. Uh, we've had two prominent reclassifications so far. We talked about them. In Cooper Flagg's case, one of the reasons why he was so widely speculated to be a reclass candidate is because of that late December birthday. So it made him a potential one-and-done candidate. So I want to start with other players who have that same scenario, who are born in that same year, who could potentially be one and done. We're not saying they're ready for it if they were to reclassify and do a year of college or somewhere else. Bossy, I'm going to start with you on this, but anybody in that current class of 2025 who could reclass up to 2024 and still be one and done eligible? Yeah, the guy that stands out to me is Bryson Tiller. He's a six foot nine skilled power forward who if he stays in the class of 2025 will turn 19 in the first half of his senior year so if he goes to 2024 he's age eligible for the 2025 nba draft because he would be a year removed from high school and he would also turn 19 during the year of that draft so he stands up to me and he's a guy that really physically is probably ready to make that jump he's got a great frame on him he's going to be able to add more weight He's a really mature kid with the way he plays. He's pretty polished with his skill. And getting ready to enter his second year at Overtime Elite, he's really done a good job of preparing himself for a potential leap if he does do that. And he's got over 20 scholarship offers, so there will certainly be no shortage of high-level elite programs that would want to take him as a class of 2024 guy. Trav, you have anyone else in that category, an older, at the moment, junior, who could potentially reclass up by the end of the year? Absolutely, and he is on record already talking about us, uh, about it at 24-7 Sports, and that is Brain Burry. He's one of the best guards out on the West Coast, but he's got a dual coast recruitment going on between two bloods, between Duke and UCLA, and you would have to think that both of these schools would be happy to get him in 25 or 2024 if he ever ends up making that decision. He did tell me that at the time, this is a decision that he is open to, but it's going to take a long time before he ever... Uh, really thinks through things and comes to that ultimate decision. Uh, but a very talented and high floor guard with his ability to score from all three levels. He's got a big uh, college ready body. He's a really good athlete, tremendous instincts and feel for the game. He doesn't only score from all three levels, but he makes those around him better. Uh, so a guy that whether he goes in 2025, stays in that class, or if he does reclassify to 2024, he will be an impact college freshman. All right, two names for me to add to this discussion, both in the New England prep ranks. First one is Aswin Erhunwunsi, the 6'9 big man from Nigeria, debuted at Putnam Science Academy last year, a very similar track to what we saw from Ugana Kingsley a year ago, coming from Nigeria, going to Putnam, helping them win a national prep championship, establishing himself as a truly elite defensive prospect, currently in the class of 2025, but old enough so that he could go to 2024 without any problem. Another name from the New England prep ranks is Josan Sanon. Currently, he's entering his junior season at Vermont Academy, but this is, I believe, his fourth year of high school, so in a position where he could graduate at the end of the year, move straight to the college ranks. He, too, has a late December birthday, and both of those prospects among the very best, not just in the Northeast, but in the entire country. All right, guys, going to turn the page. Now we're going to talk about the Jaden Quaintance kind of pathway, someone who could 
contemplate reclassifying even if they're not one and done eligible. Bossy, I'm going to start with you. Is there anybody we should have our eye on with this particular pathway? Yeah, let's go right to the very top, or I guess number two, or right at the, near the top of our 2025 rankings, and talk about Darren Peterson, the best guard in the 2025 class. He's got a January of 2007 birthday, which means that even if he graduated with the class of 2024, he would be not would not be eligible for the 2025 draft because he wouldn't turn 19 during that year. But two years of college might be good for him, even a professional route might be good for him. Physically, he's ready. He's already dominating guys his age and older from the athletic standpoint. He's highly skilled. Maybe he might take a few lumps as a freshman, but that's okay because he's got a couple years of college if he makes that move. And the lumps he would take as a freshman might be a lot better to his long-term development than just going out and dominating guys as a member of the class of 2025. Now, does that mean he's going to do it? No. But if there's a guy who is capable of making that move, even though he would have to spend two years in college or the pros or some professional rank, Darren Peterson stands out as that guy to me. Trav, anybody else to add to this watch list? Absolutely. I'll logically uh, go with the Boozer twins, the guy, or Cameron Boozer in specific, the one guy who's ahead of Darren Peterson right now in the rankings. The Boozer twins have dominated for no matter the situation or stage that they have been on in the high school realm. They are playing a national schedule with their Columbus high school team. They are also Peach Jam, Peach Jam champions at the under 16 level. And no matter what the situation is, they're going out winning, producing, and dominating basketball games. So at this point, what else do they have to prove that would make sense for them to reclassify to 2024, regardless of having two years, just to kind of take that next step and challenge themselves against higher level competition. And again, the NIL money, uh, getting two years of that would be very profitable for both of them. Uh, tremendous players. Um, again, this is all speculative and it'll be interesting to see if they end up entertaining it, but two guys that would make sense to do it. And guys, I, I want to go on record with this. Um, this isn't us advocating for this. In fact, in, in many cases, and on a show in the future, we'll come back and look at this, but I think there's a lot of reclassifications that have gone bad, quite frankly, in the last couple of years, and they've led to uh, prospects potentially not living up to those initial expectations. So I think sometimes kind of running the race at the, at the pace that you had established to begin with, there's something to be said for that. But uh, it is just a reality of modern day recruiting that reclassification is more prevalent than ever. And so we need to know the names to watch. And to summarize this, we're watching Bryson Tiller. We're watching Braden Burries. We're watching Oswin or Hunwunsi. We're watching Jason Sanon. Uh, we talked about Darren Peterson and the Boozer twins, Jeremiah Green, Jeremiah Fears, two other prospects that have been uh, talked about as potentially contemplating reclassification. Those are just some of the names. There's bound to be more as the year goes on. Because remember, there are five different players who finished in the top 50 of the class of 2023 that were juniors in high school at this time last year. All right, we hope you enjoyed this look behind the curtain, so to speak, at how we organize our rankings process here, as well as some of the players we are keeping an eye on in our reclassification watch. Let's not forget A.J. DeBonsa, the number one sophomore in the country, widely expected to contemplate a move into the junior class. You know where we're going to have you all covered. That's 247sports.com, as well as here on the 247sports channel. We will see you again next week.